Thank you. Um, I wanted to tell you about an app. So we, it is time for our offering, and you know we do pass the baskets around. But an easier way to do this um, for many of you um, is an app. There's actually, I know in the past we've told you about the e-giving website, but there's actually an app that you can download for free on your phones, uh, both on iOS as well as Android. And this app, once you set it up, um, you know, you, you set up your details and which church, and of course we're the Melbourne City Avenue Church, that you want your local offerings to go to and your tithe uh, will go to the conference. Um, once you set it up once, it's, it's all set. So then after every time you use it after that, you simply um, just put the amount in. And you can even set it up to be a recurring payment. You can set it up to be paid from your bank or credit card or whatever um, financial um, arrangements you want to make. So it's a very easy thing to do. And so we want to encourage you to download the app um, and to utilize it um, in that way. Um, because nowadays, I never carry cash around, <laughs> ever. Um, I don't have coins. It's, it's really annoying when I get to you know, Woolies or Costco and they, they want me to put a coin in for the trolley and I'm, I never have any cash. Um, so I know that in a cashless society like today, it's really nice to have the the um, the convenience, I guess, as well as the opportunity um, to give online. And so I just wanted to, to introduce that to you. Um, and of course, if you want to just do it the traditional way, we have that option as well. So we're just going to pass the basket around. And um, if you could just take a thoughtful moment to think about what it means to worship. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher, and he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher who's going to fulfill the storyline of the Torah. Now, in the first section, chapters 4 to 7, Jesus...
Viola. How much do you think it's worth? Any guesses? Ten million. Wow. Euros. Okay. It's a 1719 Stradivarius viola. Any other guesses? Ten million is a lot. Any other guesses of uh, euros? Um, any other guesses for how much it might be worth? Four. So in 2014, they tried to auction this viola for over 45 million dollars. It is. It is pretty close. It is pretty close. <laughs> Only 35 million more, but it didn't sell. So then it is sitting in a vault, waiting for someone to purchase it for the right price. The owners are not going to let it go for less than 45 million dollars. If someone gifted this viola to you, how would you react? How would you treat this viola? Would you throw it in the boot without a case? Leave it lying around in the living room. Let people play with it. Would you put it under the bed? Right? Shove it under there and forget about it. I doubt it. I think you're going to treasure it. This is going to be your retirement life package, right? You're going to insure it. You're going to put it in a vault. You're going to handle it only with gloves. You're going to make sure the temperature is perfect. Um, that you have the best, you know. Lawyers and bankers protecting that investment, and every time you think about it, you're gonna think about it with joy and tenderness, right? Because it's forty-five million dollars. When we realize something's true worth, we change our behavior and our attitude towards it. So today, I want to look at a parable, and um, this parable is found in Matthew chapter thirteen, and that's why I showed you that little introduction clip about the book of Matthew. And we are in this place in Matthew 13, where Jesus is actually sharing two parables, um, short ones. It says in Matthew 13:44 um, and onwards, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Who or what is this treasure? Often, this, these two parables are interpreted to mean that God is this treasure that we have to sell everything we have to own, or that. Heaven and eternal life is the pearl of great price that we have to go and give everything up for, and that's not a, a terrible interpretation. But is that what Jesus is that what Jesus is really saying? What is Jesus trying to say when he explains these parables? So if we go back and look at what Jesus actually says, he begins both parables with this phrase: "The kingdom of heaven is like." In other words, he's using these two stories to illustrate and explain to us the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at what then is the kingdom of heaven. To answer this question,、um, a principle that we must follow in biblical interpretation is to always look at what that author, how that author uses that phrase. Okay, because one person might use it in a completely different way than another person, and that's still true today, right?、Um, when someone else, when one person says that something is really hot, right? 
if you if you're talking about food, it could be spicy, or another person might be saying that it's t hot temperature wise, right? But if you're talking about fashion, hot might mean something completely different. So context is important as well as the author and who is using that phrase um, really matters. So when we look at the book of Matthew, and we look at how Matthew uses that term, the kingdom of heaven. And he actually references, he uses this uh, phrase, kingdom of heaven, over 29 times. Okay, So the kingdom of heaven is a very important theme for Matthew. In fact, as you saw in the introduction clip, Matthew develops this idea of the kingdom of heaven throughout the whole book. And the first time we see it mentioned is by a man named John the Baptist, who is the precursor for Jesus. He's kind of like that guy who goes up and preps up the rally for the speaker or the concert, right? It's the person who gets you excited and ready to meet the main person. And so John the Baptist comes along and his message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Another translation says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And if you look at the original Greek, it is in the past tense. It has already come and it is nearby. It's not far away. And when Jesus comes along and he repeats that refrain, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near you. And then Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5 to 7, the constitution and the laws of this kingdom. For example, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Notice this is in the present tense. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Its kingdom of heaven is not this far away, in the future, pie in the sky, by and by. Right? The kingdom of heaven is something that is tangible, approachable now. And when Jesus was there on earth, he was literally there. He's saying, I am here. And where the king is, there the kingdom reigns. And so when Jesus sent out his disciples, he empowered them through the authority of the king. And so then he equips them and he says, go and announce to them that the kingdom of, of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Imagine. No more diseases, no more death, no more demons. That, that sounds like heaven to me, right? And so the kingdom of heaven becomes available and in the present moment for all those people because Jesus had come and his disciples had been empowered and commissioned by the king to go out and make the kingdom of heaven accessible there and then. Anyone who is willing to let Jesus be the king of their lives and hearts enters into the kingdom of heaven and when we get baptized we become official citizens of that kingdom and we live then by different laws and standards and principles no longer being molded by the cultures around us but being committed to the culture of heaven and collectively we become the church the people who belong to the kingdom of heaven and who serve jesus as king the parables of the kingdom of God is a story of a God who is always seeking and finding his people. If you think about it, you know, with the interpretation that the treasure is God, it is very misleading because it makes it seem like God is really hidden and you have to search really, really hard for him. Right? But the truth is the other way around, that God is always seeking. 
there is a verse where Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And that's been the refrain in history where God, um, in the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, right? They're the ones who go hide because they're ashamed. And God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? So he comes to seek and save the lost. We are the ones hiding, not God. He's the one who comes and finds us. The kingdom of heaven is a story of a God who not only seeks and finds us, but gives up all that he has to make us his. There's so many verses, but I'll just share two with you. First Peter 1, it says, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And so Jesus gave up his entire life. He gave up everything he had to purchase us, right? To, to get us to be part of his kingdom. Here's another one in Romans. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, before anyone else saw our value, God saw our value and said, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die for that person. You know, it's interesting because in the two parables, there's slight differences. In the first one, there's a treasure buried in a field. And the, and, and the person then goes and buys the whole field. And it's kind of symbolic of how God died for the whole world. But really, it, there's only a small group of people who actually respond to that. Right? The, the treasure. The 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 people of God, the church, who basically says, yes, I want to be part of God's kingdom. But God still goes and buys the whole world. He still buys our whole field for the treasure within. And when we see in the book of Revelation how finally at the end of time, when Jesus gets united with his pearl, with his treasure, right, the one that he's been waiting for so long for, it says in Revelation 21, and um, what I've got on the screen is less than what I'm reading to you, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, and it shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. You see, God is describing his church you know, and, and this church I'm talking about is not just a, you know, it's not just our church or that church. I'm talking about the global church of all people who respond to God and say, you are my king. All those who, who, who desire to join the kingdom of heaven throughout all generations and people from all nationalities and backgrounds. And God described all those people finally being in, in one place together and coming down to be with him forever. And he describes it like this jewel. 
the sparkling, shining, glorious jewel, right? Finally, he gets to have his treasure. But if you go to that second parable, right, there's the treasure that he gets out of the field, but there's also that pearl that he goes searching for, that one pearl. And I like how he has that second parable to follow up to show us the the value of one person. There's a an inspired right Christian writer named Ellen White who wrote, In the parable the shepherd goes out to search for one sheep, the very least that can be numbered. So if there had been but one lost soul, Christ would have died for that one. And goes on to talk about the parable of the pearl, and it's that one pearl that God would go seek out. And another writer named C.S. Lewis wrote, When Jesus died in the wounded world, he died not for men, but for each man. If, if each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. In other words, when God looks out at all of you, right? Yes, there's the collective church of, of all his people, the treasure. But he also looks at each one of you and sees a pearl. He sees each one of you as incredibly worthy and valuable. And if he had to die just for you, if you were the only one right, in the world, he would have still come and given his life because you are valuable to him. How much are you worth? You know, this society, um, like many cultures around the world, place value on people based on different standards. For example, how much money you make, right? Or how strong or talented you are, or how attractive you may be, or who you know, right? If you think about it, the people that we applaud, the people that we admire, the people that we kind of aspire to be like are often those types of individuals. And this isn't something that is just a, a modern recent phenomenon. Thomas Hobbes, right, Rick, who's uh, one of the founders of Western political philosophy, writing in 1651, said the value or worth of a man is, as of, of, of all other things, his price. That is to say, so much as would be given for the use of his power. And therefore is not op- absolute, but a thing dependent on the need and judgment of another. An able conductor of soldiers is of great price in time of war, present or imminent, but in peace, not so. A learned and uncorrupt judge is much worth in time of peace, but not so much in war. And as in other things, so in men, not the seller, but the buyer determines the price. For let a man, as most men do, rate themselves at the highest value they can, yet their true value is no more than it is esteemed by others. And this has kind of been the echo of Western philosophy and thought, right? That our value is, well, what, what can you contribute? What do you bring to the table, right? And we often, it, this creeps into our mindset even if we don't mean it to. So that when we see a homeless person on the streets, we can walk by and ignore them. Whereas if there was a celebrity who would stop and take pictures, want a selfie, want to, you know, we, we treat people differently, because of what we think their value in society is. And so we always try to upgrade our own value, right? Becoming more educated, getting, you know, climbing that social ladder, getting nicer things, working our way to the top, improving our looks. And these things are not bad, but what happens is that our value often get tied with these things, with our achievements, our status. And once we lose that achievement or we lose that status, um, all of a sudden our self-worth plummets. 
you know, for most of my life, I didn't really care about my appearance. I mean, there was always something that I, I wish could be different, but for most of my life, I could, I didn't really try to, um, I, I didn't wear makeup. I didn't, um, I didn't uh, worry too much about my appearance. Then I had two kids and <laughs> I, um, all of a sudden, you know, getting a bit older and, um, got to the place where it was no longer, uh, because I, it was no longer because I could blame it on the kids. And I realized I couldn't fit into my clothes anymore. And it was amazing how that all of a sudden became such a, um, almost like an obsession in my mind where I just, it, it, it made me grumpy, you know, in the morning when I couldn't get into the outfit for the day after trying on four or five different outfits and not, not, feeling satisfied um, with, with how I looked and then just how that colored my day and how that colored my self-perception. And um, it's amazing how just how quickly I let that um, color the way that I viewed myself and how I felt about myself and how it impacted my, my interaction with others. A few weeks ago, Roy and I flew to Sydney um, for a day because we were asked to film a short promo video for a Sabbath school series on the book of Acts. And, um, you know, so it was amazing. God answered all our prayers because there was all these logistical things we had to work through to drop the kids off the moment childcare opened at 7 a.m. Then we drove to the airport, flew off, you know, um, prayed that everything would be all right with the kids. We had a backup plan that we had people on emergency standby. Um, but, you know, you're still worried. So we flew there Everything went really smoothly. We got on the train just in time. We got to the filming studio just in time. We filmed, and then we went immediately back to the train station, back to the plane, flew back, picked up the kids just in time. You know, was, everything was perfect. Um, the content went well. Everything went so well. Everyone had a lot of fun. So all these wonderful things, right? But when the video actually came out, was I grateful for all those things? Was I thinking about all those things? No. The only thing I could think about the whole video was, why do my cheeks look so fat? Right? I, I really felt like the camera added 10 pounds to each cheek. Um, and I, that's all I could think about. And, you know, I, I, Roy and I saw the video. The video is going to come out. Um, it'll be available to the public, I think, this week. But all I could think about was my cheeks. And how I looked, or, oh, man, I wish I had put my chin down, you know? It'll tell about how you, you angle your chin, right? And I just could not get out of that mindset. And I realized, wow, how much I let this thing become so much more important than the content I was talking about. You know, how I was hoping to inspire people to read the book of Acts, right? Or how I was um, so blessed to be able to have the opportunity. It was so much fun, Roy and I. Once it was, the filming was done and we were taking the train and beautiful weather in Sydney, um, you know, beautiful view. And we were so grateful and so happy. All of that went out the window because of my cheeks, right? And, you know, I give you this small kind of silly example, but there's so many things in our lives that we let get us into a, a state of depression and anxiety and, and stress because we let those things determine our worth. And we let those things color the way we view ourselves and others, the way we view the church. This week, the world was shocked by two suicides. Um, you probably already heard, but fashion designer Kate Spade committed suicide on Tuesday. And last night, 
Anthony Bourdain, who was a chef turned TV host, committed suicide um, last night as well. And everyone was shocked. Here are two people who seem to have everything in the world, right? Fame, fortune, family, friends. All the things that we think if we have those things, then we will you know, have the respect. Then we'll have that self-worth. Then we'll be valuable. Then we'll be admired. Then we'll be you know, dot, dot, dot. And yet, yet here are two individuals who had it all, but obviously it wasn't enough to make them realize how valuable their life was. Right? And um, they were obviously battling some demons inside that had lied and deceived them into thinking that they weren't good enough that their lives weren't worth continuing. Um, and it's a, it's a tragic fact that many of us um, might be battling that inside. Right? You can never tell from the outside. All, all their close friends and family, yes, Kate Spade was um, struggling with depression and anxiety, but she would always say, oh, I, I will never kill myself. I won't do that. But then she got to a place where she did. So many people suffer silently with these internal thoughts because of all the lies that we place on ourselves, because of all the lies that the culture you know, perpetuates about our worth, about our life's worth. And I want to reiterate today that having those thoughts and feelings are not sinful. They're not, they don't make you worse or less than anyone else. But those thoughts are harmful. And they're not true thoughts in the sense of um, they're lies that we have come to believe about ourselves. They're lies that um, are all around us today. And I want to remind us that these two parables of the kingdom of heaven remind us of the truth that God loves us absolutely because he thinks we are incredibly valuable. And that is an absolute that is not conditional it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. It doesn't matter what you achieve or don't achieve. It doesn't matter what you do for a career. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter. None of that changes the absolute fact that you have worth and that you are precious to God. And since he is the God of truth, and he is, since he knows um, and he has the perfect standard, if he says you're worthy, you are. You are. And so if Jesus says that you are worth the price of his son, right? Or God, if God says you are the worth of his son, if Jesus says that you are, the, you are worth his sacrifice, then you are. So we need to adjust not only how we view ourselves and others in the church, but how we treat ourselves, how we treat one another, how we treat the church, God's treasure, God's pearl. Remember that viola I showed you at the beginning, $45 million. Why? Because Stradivarius made it. <laughs> who is Stradivarius? He was a man who made good instruments, okay? And apparently he made the best. So whatever he made, whether it's a viola, cello, violin, you know, he usually made these um, wooden instruments, they, they will go for millions of dollars, right? Because... It's a Stradivarius. So when we look at ourselves, we are valuable. Why? Because God created us. In Genesis, it says that God created man and woman in his image. Right? In the image of God, he created us. Forget Stradivarius. Right? 
God, the creator of the universe, crafted us. In Psalms, he says, I crafted you in your mother's womb. I formed you in those inner parts, right? He designed us, and we are valuable because he created us, but also because he redeemed us. He purchased us back, right? He purchased us back. We have incredible worth. Jesus said to his followers, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? This is back in his day. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Right? And he's understating here. You are valuable. You are equal at least to the life of Jesus Christ. So let's be kind to ourselves. Let's treat ourselves the way that we would treat a $45 million viola, right? We wouldn't throw dirt on it. We wouldn't bang it around. We would treat it with respect and care and dignity and tenderness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And that goes also for our mind, our spirit, our souls. In other words, you know, we are, the, we are not just, you know, um, just a corpse, right? We are a body that is filled with the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the living God. God is in our hearts. He is the king. The kingdom of heaven is within us. And so God wants us to treat ourse- ourselves kindly. Our, our physically, mentally, spiritually, and, you know, emotionally, he wants us to be kind to ourselves. He wants us to treat ourselves with respect. He doesn't want me to look at my cheeks. He wants me to focus on the fact that I am um, a creation of God who gets to talk about something that I love, right? And I should be rejoicing in that. Let's be kind to each other. Remember that great golden rule, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means to be citizens, right? You have privileges and responsibilities as a citizen, and one of those privilege and responsibility is to treat each other the way you want to be treated. And so then when we talk about others, to talk about them the way that we want to be talked about, right? right? So even when we're talking about someone else's looks or someone else's achievements or someone else's... Um, annoying habits or whatever it may be, that we talk about them with the kind of love and respect we want to be talked about, that we treat others with the kind of kindness that we want to be treated um, in like in way, that if there's a new person that you make them feel comfortable the way that you want to be felt comfortable when you walk into a new place. And let's also value the church the way that God treasured it. Paul, speaking to the elders in the church of Ephesus, said, Guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. And even though he says leaders here, he's, he's talking to the church as, as a whole as well. Because the truth is, we're all called to lead at least one person to Christ. And so as a disciple, you are also a leader. It may be through your kindness by talking with someone at church who's shy. It may be through your insights during your discussion. It may be through your friendship to someone in this church who is on a journey. And it's your friendship that keeps them here. It may be through your service of running the media, 
being downstairs, making food for small group, all the things that make church worship and church community possible. Right? You're enabling the kingdom of heaven to grow. Let's treat this kingdom of heaven, this church, as a precious gift. Paul said in Galatians, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. As we treat the church as this treasure, right? As we treat the church community as this great um, treasure that Jesus sacrificed so much for, people outside of the church will begin to question why we value it so much. They will wonder, why do you spend so much time at church? Why do you prioritize church over other events, other people, other pursuits? And then you will be able to tell them it's because the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. You'll be able to say it's because the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. The way that we treat the church, the way that we treat other people will tell people around us how much we value it. And I pray that as we understand how much Jesus loves and values us as individuals and as a church, that we may come to appreciate, love, and value Jesus and his kingdom as the greatest treasure of all.